Who do you say I am? Jesus once asked his followers this question. Who do you say I am? A prophet with a new teaching? A healer to the sick? A savior to a lost world? Jesus claimed each of these, but most importantly, he claimed to be God in the flesh. At the dawn of time, he ignited human history when he spoke. He breathed life into the lungs of the first man and woman and every inch of creation itself. But we rebelled. We turned against our king and followed our own ways, even though it would cost us our life. Our sin poisoned his perfect creation, giving way to sickness, injustice, and death. Sin separated us from one another and from God. But rather than cast off humanity, God sent his son, Jesus, to enter into the world he created, the one broken by our sin. He breathed our air, became human like us, but he lived a perfect life, the one God intended we live, and called us to repent of our sin and follow him in faith. Some believed his word and recognized him as king. Others denied him. They crowned him with thorns and murdered him. They rejected him, and so have we. But God had a plan. Jesus willingly gave himself up to die on a cross to save us from God's judgment and the death we deserve. On that cross, he exchanged our rebellion for his obedience, our brokenness for his perfection. The Son of God died so we could live. And on the third day, he rose to life again, defeating death forever. And now he sits on the throne of heaven, offering life through the Holy Spirit to all those who repent and trust in him. Jesus is the King of Kings. You can either crown him or crucify him. There is no middle ground. No one will ever ask you a more important question than the one Jesus asked, who do you say I am? That is indeed the most important question any of us will ever answer in our entire lives. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The most important question that any of us are ever going to answer. You can't avoid answering it, you have to. See, if you just say, I'm just going to put it off and I'm not going to answer, you might run out of time and never have the opportunity to answer, which in itself is an answer. Over the last eight days, I've done two funerals in this room. Two people who loved the Lord, who made professions of faith, who said yes to Jesus. One person who did so years ago and lived a fruitful life in ministry, impacting the people that she was around for years. The other made the decision and profession in the 11th hour just a month and a half or so ago. Both are in the presence of God. Whether you accept Jesus when you were a little child and say, yes, Lord, you are going to be my Lord. I'm going to follow after you. Or if you do so in the 11th hour, he is still Lord. It's the same profession. It's not the good way we live our lives. It's the sacrifice that Jesus had made. None of us, none of us deserve to go to heaven. Each one of us deserve punishment. Because not only were we born into sin, we all have willfully stepped into sin. And we have a perfect Creator, a perfect God who wants us to glorify Him. 
And we cannot bring glory to God the Father in our sin. But who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus, the Lamb of God, entered into this world to save us. To save us. Is that good enough for us? Is that good enough for us that the creator of this universe saw fit to die a humiliating and awful death so that we may have life? Is that good enough? Or do we demand things like wealth, health, and prosperity? Who is Jesus? Who He he says He is, we say He is, is incredibly important. What are our expectations of Jesus? And do our expectations of Jesus change the Jesus we believe in into something that was never in Scriptures? If we expect Jesus to to be like a genie or to grant us our wishes for health, wealth, and prosperity, do we really believe in the real biblical Jesus? Or have we created something to give us a false hope in this world? If we do, if we believe in a Jesus that we create, we are going to be disappointed with an incredibly intense disappointment. Because Jesus is perfect. Jesus didn't come to give us health, wealth, and prosperity. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin. To give us hope of salvation, which we did not deserve. Who do you say He is? Who is this Jesus? C.S. Lewis famously famously once said, Jesus Christ was either a liar, a lunatic, or he was who he says he was. I would add a fourth option of legend. We're not going to talk about that. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago at length. But ultimately, Jesus is either who he says he was or he isn't. And do what the Jesus we believe in, does it line up with who he says he was? Or have we created for ourselves a God in our own image? Who is Jesus? We have to remember that. Today we are remembering this, uh, the beginning of, uh, today marks the, uh, the, the beginning of Holy Week. This time that we remember that some 2,000 years ago, we have this triumphal entry. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. After doing many miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, feeding the 5,000. All of these incredible things. Now Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and people are gathering up on the streets and they have the palm branches and today we remember that as Palm Sunday when they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna on the highest. And they were right in what they said, but their motivation was wrong. As we find out just a few short days later, those same cries of Hosanna turned to crucify Him. Why? Why? They had the prophets to tell them who the Savior was going to be. They witnessed the miracles. They saw the divinity. They saw the authority. They saw the power. Yet when they got something other than what they wanted, they cried, crucify Him. Today marks what I would say is the most tragic week in human history that ends in the most triumphal day in the history of this universe. 
We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As you turn there, let's go to God in prayer. God, if nothing else happens today, I got to baptize one of my best friends. And for that, I am just so eternally grateful. You are a miracle-working God. You are a miracle-working God. You are so good. You do. You are moved by compassion for us. You do hear our prayers. You do love us. Yet we are here to bring you glory. Help us to remember that. That you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords regardless of what's going on in our lives. Regardless of how you're blessing us, we know that we have this incredible blessing of eternity. God, if we don't know it, remind us today so that we can do what you created us to do and that is to bring glory to you, our almighty King. God, as we open your word today, may your Holy Spirit speak in and through my words and speak to our hearts and help us to take a step closer to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill that, uh, what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, uh, trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I want you to imagine this scene. This isn't just a story. It's not just a myth or a fairy tale. This is a, this is a book of history. This actually happened. It's a historic event. Jesus of Galilee, the one again who has performed all of these miracles. He healed the lepers. He allowed the deaf to hear, the blind to see. He walked on water. You know the story of Mark 2 where they dropped their paralyzed friend. Jesus heals him physically and spiritually. The same Jesus that they all saw what turn water into wine, feeding the 5,000, all of these miracles. They knew who he was as he's coming through a town, those who were crying out, Hosanna. And they had expectations. They had some serious expectations, knowing that this prophet, that they say, was a powerful prophet. They had an expectation of who he might be. 
And we have this scene then, this, this triumphal entry that we call it. And again, verses 8 and 9, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Imagine being there like this parade. They're lining up on the streets. There's palm branches laying down as he's riding over them. They're waving their palm branches and rightly saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then they're, they're receiving this king, or so it seems. You know, you might have this imagery of a kids' event, right, where we have little kids kind of parade through and they have their palm branches and they're smiling. Oh, aren't they cute? We forget what they start to chant a couple of days later. I want you to think about this. When Jesus heard those words of praise and adoration and acclamation, He knew what was in their hearts. He knew He wasn't who they were hoping He would be. He knew He wasn't meeting their expectations for what the Savior was going to be. He knew they misinterpreted the prophets and the Scriptures. He knew that they were going to cry, give, uh, crucify Him. He knew that He was going to get spit on. He knew He was going to get beaten. He knew He was going to get uh, uh, put the crown of thorns on. Easy for me to say. He knew all those things. Yet He rode on. He rode on. What were they expecting? And how did they miss the mark? Well, they were expecting a political hero. You see, for some years, they were in captivity. Rome was there. In what they wanted to be, or what they called their sovereign nation of Israel, there was a foreign invader. And they knew that they knew that they knew that God was going to send this prophet to drive out this foreign invader. They were hoping for, and they were expecting a political hero that Jesus was going to come in and He was going to drive out the Romans. He was going to oust the foreign rulers. He was going to bring an end to unfair taxes. All of their hopes, all of their aspirations, all of their interpretation of Scripture was wrong. And there was a bitterness that came into the group of people that cried Hosanna when they realized it. You see, they were guilty of a whole bunch of misses. Not ladies, but misses. They misunderstood the prophecy. How did they misunderstand the prophecy? As we read through the Old Testament, as you read through Isaiah, how did they so badly miss who was coming? How did they so badly misunderstand prophecy? I believe they misunderstood it because they kept making themselves the star of the show and the point of the whole thing. That, that God would send somebody to come rescue them then and now. They thought what they needed was a sovereign nation. They missed what they really needed was somebody to come save them from their sins. You see, they thought God would send somebody to save them from Rome. God sent His Son to save them from themselves. And they had mis, uh, a misplaced hope. The misplaced hope they hoped and everything that was uh, temporary in this world. If only Rome was driven out of our sovereign nation. If only we could rule ourselves. Then we would be free. Then we could be that city on the hill. Then I could live my life the, the way I want to live my life. 
You see what happens there? There's mis- misplaced hosts. There's misguided allegiances. And there was an incredible missed opportunity. What could have been? What could have been had the children of Israel recognized Jesus for who He was? What could have been if they would have said, oh God, we realize that we're not here for our own uh, lives. We are here for Your glory. What could have been if they recognized Jesus as that Lamb of God, the sacrifice, sacrifice that take away the sin of the world? When they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And this, it haunts me. I gotta tell you, I, I read this text and I think about this scene and it brings tears to my eyes to think about what Jesus must have thought, what He must have felt as He was riding through that crowd receiving an empty praise. And the thought crosses my mind how many churches in America, how many churches in this world where people stand and sing empty praises to a Jesus they fabricated to meet their expectations. The expectation. And then the unmet expectation. Again, verse 5 in uh, chapter 21. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a, a beast of burden. This is quoting from Zechariah chapter 9 that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your kingdom, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. People thought the salvation that was spoken of in the prophet was a temporary salvation that would come and free a nation. But it was so much more than that. It was so much bigger than that. The people expected a conquering king to come in to drive out those nasty Romans. But instead, they got a humble servant king entering on a colt. So the Bible says it's this colt of a donkey. Never been ridden. Can I tell you that this is miraculous? Some of us can't even stay on trained horses. Jesus rode a colt that has never been ridden. But I wonder, do we, do we as Christians today, 2021, Mansfield, Ohio, do we have any unmet expectations of who Jesus is? It's important that we get this right, guys. Do we have any unmet um, expectations? Do our expectations need to be adjusted? To be aligned with truth? To be aligned with truth of Scripture? Friends, we are here to bring glory to God, not the other way around. God did not create us so that we could have big houses and nice cars. God did not create us so that we could make sure we have plenty of money in our 401k for when we retire. By the way, you might die before you get to enjoy it and your kids are going to buy dumb things like cars. No, God created us for His glory. God is the center of the show. God is the star. God is the hero. He is the one that we give glory. Not us. We aren't the point of this thing. He is. We are here to bring glory to God. And I believe that one of the reasons people feel let down by God is a lack of understanding of who He is, who they are, and His eternal plans. It's easy to get judgy when we think about people in the Bible, isn't it? 
It really is, man. You go through the children of Israel, you're like, man, you get it, you don't get it, you get it, you don't get it, you get it, you don't get it. What's the matter with you? You go into the New Testament, you have the right praise, Hosanna in the highest, and then you cry out, crucify Him. What's wrong with you? But if we examine our own hearts, we have the propensity to do the same thing. Something goes wrong in our lives and we say, God, where are you in this? Right? We lose our job. We get, a, we get a diagnosis. We have a family member get sick. We have a spouse that, that you're not having a good relationship with. You, have, you fill in the blank and you say, God, where are you in this? And when we do that, we ask that question, we have to realize and recognize something. We have an expectation on God that doesn't fit who God is. God is there to be glorified. We got to get our eye off the temporary and onto the eternal and say, God, I don't understand with what you're doing with this. Give me peace and comfort. Friends, He will answer that prayer. He will give you peace and comfort with regardless of what's going on. Regardless of what's going on. I told you I've done two funerals in the last eight days. The one yesterday, the gentleman uh, made a profession of Christ about, about a month and a half ago. I got to hear it, and I called his family, and he, and he made the profession of faith again in front of his family. And before he ended, he says, I'm looking forward to heaven. It's just incredible. His wife, this testimony of as she had been sharing the gospel with him for 34 years, praying for his salvation. Do you know how hard yesterday could have been? But how much rejoicing there was? Guys, God is good even if we don't have wealth, health, and prosperity. He is good if we lose our job. He is good if we get sick. Do you think those two people that we did their funerals, do you think they would come back if they could? They are in presence of God Almighty. Enjoying an eternal reward. One that they didn't deserve but was freely given to them from the Lamb of God. The King of kings and the Lord of lords who rode in on that donkey. Who deserved to hear Hosanna in the highest. And when we align our expectations to the truth of Scripture of who Jesus is, we can walk in confidence in the truth. We can have peace and calm in the storm because of who He is and what He has done. We have the expectation and the unmet expectation, but who does the Bible say that Jesus is? First of all, the Bible makes this clear that Jesus was perfect, lived a perfect life. Jesus radiates the glory of God. He was the exact representation of His Father. He lived a sinless life and completed His mission to defeat, to defeat sin and death in this world. Listen to Hebrews 1 and 3. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Hebrews 5, 8, 9. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. John 8, 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Do we believe Jesus and who He says He was and is? Jesus had authority. He was perfect and He had authority over the world. 
He has the authority of all things spiritual and physical. Matthew 7, 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as the one who had authority and not as the scribes. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus had great authority and has authority in this world. He has great power. He has the power to literally move mountains. And the most miraculous thing I believe that Jesus does is forgive sins to melt hearts of stone like mine. He has great power. God's creative power exercised through Jesus Christ. Listen to John 1.3. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. We were created by Him. Matthew 8.26 and 27. And He said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then He rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? that even winds and sea obey Him. Friends, some of you are probably right now in a proportion of your life, a season of your life where there is a great storm. And the storm might not stop. You might have to live in this season for some time. You might be experiencing incredible grief right now. But you don't grieve alone. You, you might be experiencing some financial hardship, relational loss, but you aren't alone in it. The Creator of this universe has an eternal plan and has you in His hand. We cannot, once we, have our, once we have put our faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He indwells us with His Holy Spirit. We cannot lose that salvation that He has given to us freely. We cannot remove ourselves from His hand. We are safe and secure in Him. And through this storm, through the storm, He can give you peace and He can give you calm and He can give you comfort. Jesus has the power, the authority. He's perfect. Jesus is divine. Jesus' divinity clearly implied in the New Testament and Old Testament prophecies also point to the divinity of the coming Messiah. Again, the children of Israel missed it. John 1-3 one th- uh, again, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Listen, Jesus and the Father were one. Jesus is divine. He is God. And one of His most important attributes to us, one of the things that we see throughout so clearly throughout Scriptures, Jesus is love. The Bible makes this very clear. Not only is He perfect and have authority and all power and He is divine, but Jesus is love. How did Jesus keep riding that donkey through that false praise? Because He wanted to save those people who were making that claim of Hosanna. He kept riding. No one else has ever loved us like Jesus loves us. No one, and no one ever will. He modeled a sacrificial love that led to the death on, His death on the cross. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He is love. 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, just think about who Jesus is. On this Palm Sunday, my, one of my prayers for us this week, as we're going through the Holy Week towards Easter, Good Friday and Easter, that we will feel the weightiness of this week. That it starts off with what we call the triumphal entry and ends with cries of crucify Him. Beating and torturing Him and putting Him on a cross. The most tragic week in human history ending with the most triumphal day in human history. Who is it that we put our trust in? Who is this Jesus? There's something, a great confession in Matthew 16, 15-16. It says this, He said to them, But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? When the storm comes, are you filled with doubt or peace? Listen, we still have our flesh and we still battle sometimes, right? But is God only good if you're wealthy and healthy and prosperous? If that's the state of our mind, we're going to have unmet expectations. And it's sad. We're going to miss it like the children of Israel did. Friends, it is not okay to create the characteristics of God that we want that we want to assign to Jesus. When we do that, we make ourselves the point of the story and we miss it. We miss out on our opportunity to bring glory to God as we have been designed and created to do. And that is a great joy as we do that. I want you to remember that Jesus isn't just a a, a weak or a passive Savior. Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Not only did He look death square in the eye, and die on a cross for our sins. But He defeated death. He defeated sin. And now sits on the right hand of the Father. Jesus is a powerful King. An authoritative King. He's a perfect King. He didn't have to keep riding on that Palm Sunday. He could have got off and pronounced judgment on all those people for the false praise. But He was moved by love to save them from themselves, to save us from ourselves. Jesus is a powerful King. King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He is returning. Nobody, though, have I ever heard say and describe who Jesus is better than S.M. Lockridge. Many of you have seen what we're about to show. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come up, and we're going to to close with a a song, but before that, I want to play a video. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially 
powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. That's my king.